Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. This is going to be a fun episode, but before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about birding during a pandemic. This has been different, I have to say. Uh, Instead of going to the most popular birding places, which are easy to do, I've been looking for the most unpopular birding places, or maybe not the most unpopular birding places, but places that I can go birding where there might not be any other people, or certainly not very many other people. I'm lucky around here we have Joint Base Lewis McCourt. It's a place that's kind of hard to go to because you need to have already gone on post, gotten a range pass uh, to be to be welcome there, and so that limits the number of people who are going to be uh, going around there in the first place, and. Uh, during this, ep- during this time, the times I've been there, it's been great. It's always good birding there, and there have been almost no people. Yesterday, I went to a, the Mitigated Marsh here in Tacoma, the Gogla High Tea Mitigated Marsh. It was a uh, mitigation in the tide flats, kind of a pop- place not that popular as a walking spot because the rendering plant next door combined with the general odors from the tide, pl- tide flats that were the... Uh, the Tacoma got its uh, the aroma of Tacoma name for that area. Uh, makes it a little less popular. The smell isn't nearly as bad now as it used to be, but it's a great birding spot. And I, I got there yesterday, had a really nice day. The first day of spring, really, of, of recently, that was temperature in the high 50s, light breeze, bright sun, and birds just singing like crazy. I got my first of the year common yellow throat doing its witchety, witchety, witchety call. Just really cool. Uh, there were savannah sparrows. Again, my first of the year Pierce County savannah sparrows. They were singing up a storm and all over the place. And it was just birdie as all get out. Had a great walk there. Uh, so overall, had a really nice day yesterday. And I've been trying to find a way almost every day to get outdoors, go to some place that's not a long drive, that's uh, going to be lightly uh, lightly used, and where it's easy to keep more than six feet social distancing, uh, like 600 feet social distancing in most of these places, or maybe six miles in some of them, I don't know. Farther, You don't see any people a lot of the places I've been going, which makes it really nice. I did get a homemade mask. Mary and my uh, girlfriend made me a homemade mask, so I'm styling it with a I don't know, it's kind of a leopard appearing, <laughs> appearing fabric. It's pretty cool. Uh, so I can cover up my face when I want to go places where I might uh, have to walk by somebody on a trail or that sort of thing. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, don't like wearing it because it fogs my glasses up. I haven't figured out how to keep it. Well, I'm, I'm a physician, so we used to operate, go to the operating room, and most of the physicians who wear glasses use a little piece of scotch tape on the top of their mask or some sort of tape, the paper tape to keep the air from your exhalation from escaping through the top of the mask right up under your glasses and fogging them up. I haven't quite solved that issue yet. I've been tucking the mask under my glasses to press it against my nose. is isn't working that great. But anyway, enough whining about masks and whining about the pandemic affecting my birding. Uh, it's been a, it's been you know an ta- interesting time. Uh, but I took time today, and Mike Bergen, my guest, took time today uh, to record an episode of the Bird Meter Podcast. Mike is a pretty interesting fellow. He has the biggest bl- birding blog on the internet, 10,000birds.com. You should definitely check it out and subscribe. You get an email each day with the most recent blog post uh, summary, and you can pick which ones you want to read. It's just pretty nice. Uh, I love... Uh, the best bird of the weekend. Mike and his uh, partner in the enterprise, Corey, 
put up a little, just a simple little blurb, blurb about their best bird of the weekend. And people leave comments what they saw. I think it's kind of fun to see what people saw. You know, it, it Mike mentions on the podcast that what might seem like a common bird to you is going to be, if somebody somewhere is going to be envious, is going to love that you saw that bird. You know, maybe a chestnut-backed chickadee out here or purple finch or uh, whatever I see might be, you know, really cool to somebody from Florida or somewhere where they don't get those sorts of birds. So their uh, banana quit uh, would make me envious and maybe my CBC will make them. Anyway, uh, it was fun talking about that with Mike, and he's just an eloquent and fun guest to have on. I really enjoyed uh, talking with him today, so I hope you enjoy the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 56 with Mike Bergen. Mike, thanks for being on the Bird Banner Podcast. I appreciate your time. Ed, I'm really glad to speak with you today. Yeah, that's great. I have uh, been, for some period of time, I don't know how long, a year or two, been uh, casually following 10,000 birds, and it's a big site. You've really got something going there. Tell me about that. How did it get started and how have you maintained it? Websites don't have a natural lifespan of as long as 10,000 birds has been around. How have you done that? <laughs> That's a good point. Well, I really appreciate you mentioning that you follow 10,000 birds. And yes, the site is huge. And it's because of its natural evolution. Uh, I started 10,000 birds so long ago. Uh, it was, it was, bef it was right when blogging started and oh. I wanted to get into blogging and I was working on something having to do with my, uh, my primary profession, which is education. And th that didn't work out. But at the time I had just gotten into birding and I thought, you know, I'm into birding, I'm into blogging. I'm an educator myself. So why don't I start exploring this new blogging thing through the process of birding and Correct. write about what I see. And this will make me attend to what I'm doing. It'll force me to get out every day. And so that little kernel it, back in 2003 uh, was the beginning of 10,000 Birds. Very cool. And did you start by, no, my, uh, Corey, uh, came on, uh, two or three years later, I think. So the two of you have been, uh, like a, a dynamic duo since then, but you started by yourself. It sounds like. So I started by myself and it's interesting because, um, you know, Jeff Gordon talks to people about spark birds. He asks them, right. you know, what got you into birding? And I remember that I got into birding just because, my wife and I were walking, we were hiking like we always did, and a little yellow bird flew by. And that wasn't odd, but for some reason that day, we were a little bit curious about it. And then another different species flew by, and we thought, huh, that's interesting. And then a third little yellow bird flew by, different from the other two. And we thought, you know, we really should know what we're seeing. So we picked up a field guide, and that absolutely killed our hiking career, but it started the birding <laughs> process. And at the beginning, if you go to the early days of 10,000 birds, I was just fumbling, you know, I was excited about every little bird I saw. Everything was a lifer. I was living in the Bronx and exploring the New York City area. And I guess the process of writing this down, but also going online and trying to connect to other people that were doing the same thing started to spread the word. People were it was not, 
was not as connected in, on the internet in those days, I'm sure. The blogosphere, or let's say the internet, was the Wild West. And it was really interesting because imagine, it's hard to imagine this, but imagine what life was like before social media, before sure. you could get online or tweet what you had for breakfast that morning. People who wanted to express themselves online had blogs and that was it. And that was the, it was that big thrust of being a diarist, of being a chronicler, of what the new media was, where everybody was carving out a niche in different areas. Some of the famous blogs of the time, like Julie and Julia became a movie and, you know, some became books and some became the kernels for business. Uh, and 10,000 birds was a birding site that started to connect with other blogs, both in nature and science. I was in with the earliest science blogging community. And mm -hmm. I even spoke at one of their first conference. And um, I started to started to actively knit this network together. And I created things like the Eye and the Bird blog carnival, which was a natural way for all the different bird bloggers to contribute posts week uh, every couple of weeks so that people would discover them and we rotated the hosting. So you were the we Kevin MD hundreds, of hundreds of people, hundreds of different bloggers around the world contributing to this community. You're the Kevin MD of birding. <laughs> uh, who is that? I, I'm a family doctor and Kevin MD is a, uh, is the big, uh, consortium of medical blogs everybody oh, yes. blogs submits their best stuff to kevin md and it gets posted there so, yeah. and yeah, that's but... exactly right and so back in the day that's what we call the blog carnival and that's how i met so many birders across the country and across the world and that's how Ten Thousand birds kind of, kind of rose up to become the most popular birding blog in the world and it's really exciting what happened in those days, how we had the Eye and the Bird Carnival, and then the Nature Blog Network, which was another site that I set up where mm -hmm. people could contribute their sites and they would have a little badge on it, which would track their visitors. Right. And so <laughs> everybody became competitive. Everybody sure. wanted to see where they ranked in the network. And uh, that lasted for years until... As so many things on the internet, the spammers just destroyed it. They just, just crushed it. But, exactly. Uh, you know, so what I'm describing, and anybody who's listening to this who remembers the old days of birding remembers how many phenomenal bird blogs there were and how much people were able to share and uh, show through phenomenal pictures. And those, the bird blogosphere became really big. And we needed consolidation. There were just so many. So that's when, you know, Corey and Charlie Moores joined forces with us, with me. And okay. then we started inviting other writers on uh, because it, it was difficult when there were thousands of nature blogs. It was difficult for a new blogger to cut through the noise and find right. an audience. And so we mm -hmm. had the opportunity to bring on who we thought were the best writers at the time and still do. And that really helps too, because it keeps it keeps the site vibrant, even though today blogging is so much less prominent. It's certainly not cutting it, not blogs. cutting edge anymore. And people are all into video and podcasts. So 
are well, yeah, I mean, now. and podcasts are really big, but there's just overall, Facebook took over what most bird blogs were about, which was sharing exactly. your site. Not just not just Facebook, actually, eBird. You know, now, now that eBird is so phenomenal at capturing site information, then one of the prime functions of birding blogs, and I consider 10,000 birds still focus on this a lot, is uh, trip reports and site intelligence. And if you want to go birding somewhere, you know this, Ed, you travel a lot. When you yes. want to go birding somewhere, you start doing research into it. And eBird is where you go. eBird is where you go. But it used to be that you would, if you search something in Google, you would just have to get a lot of bird blogs because exactly. that was the only intelligence yeah. and, and that still was a really valuable seven source. Seven or eight years ago. Seven or eight years ago. That's what we did. It was, that, yeah. That's right. Seems so like the other day. <laughs> so between Facebook and eBird, a lot of the need for um, that granular information or to just know what a birder is doing any given day is taken care of. But, you know, bird blogs are still fantastic. They're still, you know, we still read books and those aren't going away. Things like blogs aren't going away. They're just part of a broader constellation or spectrum of information. They are. Uh, I have to say, I, uh, I I still read, follow a number of blogs, and and maybe it's just old school, but I, I like reading. I mean, reading is, you know, to me, I I just like to read something instead of always watching it on YouTube or TV or or listening on the radio in the car or onto a podcast or whatever. Sometimes it's just nice oh, to yeah. sit down and read something. I agree completely, and that's funny because you know we're supposed to be in the paperless revolution, um, but Ten Thousand Birds has has more book reviewers than ever. We've got four book reviewers at this point. We can't keep up with all of them. <laughs> oh, very cool. Very cool. So you probably, have you had somebody review Susie Gilbert's new book yet? Of course. As a matter of fact, um, I was going to say, I'll write that for that you if you like. I just finished your I, book. I like I it. wrote, I wrote one of the uh, advance uh, comments. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very that's, nice. um, you know, because Susie, as I think, you know, Ed, she used to write for 10,000 birds. That's she, how I uh, got hooked yeah. up to you again. Yes. She was the, it was great because she was our bird rehabilitation writer and she maintained that beat for a long time. And what was interesting about that was how very different the commitments or, or let's say the priorities of bird rehabbers and bird watchers are in that Definitely. bird watchers and bird rehabbers are very much the same. And it's kind of, if you imagine the Venn diagram, there's tons of overlap, but there mm -hmm. are differences. And it was fascinating how some of the posts that she wrote would be so different to, to the, from the normal birding fair. And mm -hmm. sometimes we got really powerful reactions positively, sometimes really powerful reactions negatively. I loved it and didn't hurt that Susie is a phenomenal writer. So she's very we, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, her book was, was great, wasn't it? It was a wonderful read. I, I have to, I mean, it was, you know, I started, I interviewed her for the, for the podcast, I would think on a Monday morning. And so I started the book, I think Friday night and had finished it by Sunday afternoon. It was just a yeah. page turner. It was really, it was fun read. And, you know, with lots of time in the home these days to, uh, to read. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, so. Susie is, she's, she's a breezy writer. She just, she has great command of the language and she's a storyteller and she, infuses her writing with a lot of emotion. Even when, if you go back and you read the, the uh, everything that she's written extensively on bird rehabbing, you, 
you get real narrative and you get real feeling. Yes, I bet you do. Well, for listeners who are uh, hearing this, uh, this will come out the episode after Susie. Susie's is going to go live tomorrow morning. So, uh, oh, well, good. I, uh, she's a tough to act to follow. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. I think you're doing going to try right even so harder to be interesting. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, you've got work to do. She was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I have to say. So I've I've been on a run of interesting people to talk to. I had uh, uh, Stephanie Seymour, who's a musician. Uh, on? Yeah, we um, we reviewed her CD. Oh, you did? Okay. Funny but, story. Yeah. She's she's friends with my brother. And, oh, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but that's that's terrific. Small world. So I've uh, been branching out. I've had a rehabber and a musician. Now I've got a, a blogger. So it's a, mm-hmm. a run of fun stuff. So it sounds like uh, you travel a lot to bird. You and you and Corey went to Uganda here not too long ago. We did. Uh, tell what me a about privilege. that trip. What a privilege that was. So uh, one of the best things about 10,000 birds for me has been the ability to connect with so many uh, birding celebrities and personalities all over the world. And a lot of opportunities open up for travel. And it's and I have to say, I've been able to travel uh, through five continents now, birding. And it's my favorite kind of birding. So um, when Herbert, uh, who is really the most prominent advocate for African birding in the world, as far as I know, uh, when he sent out the invitation to come to Uganda and speak at the African Birding Expo, oh, wow. I, I mean, I was so excited. How you that <laughs> because I had never been to Africa. And I, after meeting Herbert back in, um, I mean, I swear I met him... 12 years ago or so. So give us Herbert's full name so listeners will know who you're talking about. Well, I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> it's okay. uh, Burangara, I believe. Okay. Okay. It's, Thank uh, you. But, but he deserves better than to have me mess up his name. <laughs> okay. But Herbert is well known. He's well known. He, uh, he appears at most of the birding fairs across the world. He's an international celebrity and an ambassador for African and particularly Ugandan birding. So, Very cool. you know, like I said, I, I, I met him at, you know, I think I met him at Space Coast. I met him at uh, RGV. I met him at Cape May. I've seen him all over. And so he has done, he has helped the Ugandan government spearhead some of these um, birding expos. And so he invited Corey and I to come to this, and we joined an international delegation of just uh, crack tour guides and um, Bird Life International staff. And um, Andrew, who is the head of the Asian Birding Fair. I mean, it's just, oh, wow. yeah, really, really fantastic individuals. And we got to travel for 15 days around the country. Oh we my went, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we went almost everywhere. Unfortunately, we couldn't go everywhere because you couldn't fit that in. But we had the full experience of Murchison Falls and Queen Elizabeth Park and um, the uh, gorilla encounters and the chimpanzee encounters. And you've been to Africa, so you know that when you go, 
you're not just there for the birds. You're there for oh, the mammals. No. You're there for the environment. You're there, and I mean, it's the same wherever you go in the world. You're not just there for the birds. You're there for the for butterflies. Sure. You're there for the bugs. You're there for all the wildlife. I mean, one of the most <laughs> impactful encounters we had was with a daytime roosting flock of thousands of bats. Oh, and yes. it, it was it was beyond belief. It was... Uh, was such an epic opportunity. And then we spoke at the African Birding Expo and Corey and I got to share with the audience the priorities of American travelers. <laughs> we, okay. we, were able, we were able to kind of say, this, this is what we're like and don't be afraid of us and uh, don't mind if we're a little rude, but this is what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I went to Africa. I, I've been twice. I've been to Morocco, kind of sort of counts as Africa. But I went sure. to Kenya in 2016 with James Bradley and John mm -hmm. Sterling. What a, oh my goodness. What a 15 days like yours and 548 species. Yeah. About 510 were life birds, you know, just, just overwhelming and unbelievable just and you're right the other experiences some of my favorite memories are seeing the women carrying trees on their head out of right. the forest it's amazing isn't it how, how does this five foot four inch 112 pound woman carry a eight inch wide log on her head i mean yeah, very carefully yeah, yeah. <laughs> do a, they just, in kenya do they drive the boda boda bikes like they do in uganda everywhere uh, I, I don't know what you mean by boda boda bike so probably um, not well, the dirt bikes, just everywhere oh, in Uganda, yes. yeah, people exactly. traveled by this very particular kind of motorcycle called a oh, boda. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Either. I think that, as I recall, there was a big variety of anything with two wheels that would make noise okay. and go yeah. was fine. Uh, yeah. I, I also, I can't remember the car, but the fact that everybody paid for everything with their phone, there was a special... Uh, app that so nobody used cash or credit cards or anything everything was done by their phone which i thought was pretty cool you know so you have your bank well it's amazing phone. right when you travel and you see the parts of the world that have made these jumps you know they didn't go through the same technological progression we did they jumped over exactly. some areas exactly. and there are places in the world where they're just cashless they you know they use their phones for everything there are places in the world that are more advanced in solar than we are simply because that was the next step in their energy evolution and the more you travel the more interesting expressions of human culture you see for sure for sure it's well, it's a beautiful thing so what were besides uh, the the people that you got to travel with and the bats? What were your big uh, you know breathtaking Uganda things that, that you remember? Well, what what was the, so your when, when you go to Uganda and you go birding, or even if you're not birding but you want to see the coolest bird in Uganda, obviously you go for the the shoebill. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. we did. And, and what was smart about Herbert is he knows this is exactly what people want. So we made sure that our very first day we went to Mabamba Swamp and we went through the swamp and, through, you know, uh, we were so fortunate to get some good looks at Shoebill and very nice. kind of get that off of our back so we could really embrace everything else. Shoebills make those gigantic nests, don't they? Mm. No, no not something else. I think no, um, shoebills, okay. you know, they're giant stork-like creatures with that really, that clog of a bill. Right. And they lurk in the reeds and they 
eat lungfish and they just, you know, they're so sloppy and disheveled, but they're, and prehistoric looking, they're positively primeval. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. Oh, sounds it was, it was cool. just amazing. It's just, you know, Uganda is one of those places where because of the, you know, you have some changes in elevation because it's, it's always, you're always at a certain point above sea level. It's never too hot there. And there are just so many birds everywhere. You, yeah. it's, there's something exciting, you know, as a birder to go someplace with remarkable biodiversity. This is why we love to travel to Central and South America. And, you know, we love to travel to the tropical areas. And so that experience of going to a place with, the, with diversity equivalent to that of Colombia or Ecuador or Panama just mm-hmm. means that every day offers something new. It is. It is great to, to see new places like that. Do you have, I mean, does anyone have anything coming up? Do you, I was going to say, do you have any trips planned? <laughs> oh, yeah, and, I don't and know. I'm supposed to be, as we speak, I'm supposed to be in Texas chasing golden cheek warblers and uh, black-capped vireos, but unfortunately I couldn't be there. Um, yeah, so who knows when any of us are going on a trip yeah. again. And my heart goes out to all of my friends who were guides the and tour, lodge the owners. tourism industry. Yes. You know, oh, ecotourism is so powerful for moving forward all of the values that most birders care about in terms of reverence for nature and protection of resources and a um, perpetuation of this this great community that we have around the world. And now a lot, a lot of our ambassadors are struggling. They just, they can't. Yeah, totally struggling. I, uh, I, I have a trip planned that I'm uh, going on the ABA slash rock jumper, uh, Antarctica trip this fall. If it, Oh, if it happens. you must be so excited. Oh, I am totally jazzed, but uh, it's also, you know, who knows the thought of going on a cruise ship right now is a little scary. Uh, and, uh, who knows? I mean, the, I don't. I think it's a long, long ways from 100% that it'll happen, but hopefully it will. And, uh, mm, I'm going to keep my fingers cool. crossed for you because Antarctica is a dream trip for every birder, obviously. Yes. Um, yes. And I mean, ABA and Rock Jumper. I don't know if you know this, but Adam Riley of Rock Jumper used to write for 10,000 birds. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm super excited about it. I, I signed up through Alvaro Jaramillo. I don't know oh, if you know great. Alvaro. Yeah, but of uh, course, it's just a incredibly smart, fabulous birder. Just uh, I had him on a few months ago. As a will guest, Alvaro be leading that trip? He is on. He is he his uh, uh, Alvaro's adventures has a subset of the trip. Wonderful through Rock Jumpers. So I signed up through Alvaro, but it's kind of coordinated through Rock Jumpers. It's a convoluted thing, but uh, yeah. And uh, if it, if I go, I'll be going on his pre pre tour. Uh, Southern Chile. Uh, oh, that's three, amazing. Three I mean, he really knows that area of the world so well. He does. Uh, yeah. He, I, you know, I had him on as a guest and I was expecting uh, someone from Chile, you know, and, and on comes this very elegant British accent speaking guy and I go, whoa. He grew, <laughs> in, he grew up in Ontario as a British yeah. accent. That's right. <laughs> and is yet a native Chilean. It's, it's just like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's really interesting and a crack birder. 
Oh yes, I loved his story about how he uh, how how he he was uh, in his PhD program, and uh, he he was on the fast track. You know, super smart student, went through undergraduate, got his master's degree, was halfway through his PhD program when he realized he just that wasn't his thing. <laughs> right, and uh, and he uh, kind of quit his PhD program to write a book on blackbirds. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said his mother was not happy. <laughs> no, but I mean, but he was right. I mean, so many people uh, lack the bravery to yes, to get off was... a track and embrace the thing that they're really interested in. And and are really good at. I mean, I'm sure he would have been a, just a fine bench researcher, but oh my goodness, what a field ornithologist and trip leader and ambassador for birding and everything. Oh my goodness, he's... He's quite the, quite the asset to our community. Yeah, that's for sure. Good. So, uh, you, I, I want to talk a little bit more about ten thousand birds. Uh, you have a regular. I read through your list of regular. I don't know if you call them contributors or regular regular writers. We ca- we call our writers beat writers. Yes, beat, we do get plenty of guest writers, but but our beat writers because everybody picks a particular beat that they focus on. Okay, so it's like a newspaper taken from that theory or that, you know, that lingo. Uh, anyway, so how is how would somebody contribute? If I wanted to uh, submit a guest uh, uh, column for you, uh, for mm-hmm. your consideration, how would I do that? Would I just, there must be a place on your site to do that? Or how does that no, work? No, you know what? People reach out to us all the time. and So it's just informal. It, it's We are very informal. I think <laughs> one of the reasons that Corey and I have, uh, kept this going for as long as we do is we really only do it because we enjoy doing it and because we associate with other people that enjoy doing it. We're not, this is not a commercial venture. You know, our sponsors pay for the fees for maintaining such a large site, but that's, uh, we're not in this for the money. It's, uh, not the glory either. It's just for the love of birding. And so when other people that feel the same way connect with us and they have something interesting to share, we're just excited to help facilitate that. Very so, yeah, so, you know, what we look for in writers is, first of all, that you can write mm-hmm. and that you can provide original pictures to support. Because sure. as, as interesting as reading about birds is, <laughs> what, looking at the pictures of them and looking at the pictures of the habitat and seeing things is required. Uh, so this is a visual medium. So we want to make sure that we that people uh, they are good sure, writers. Have some photos. They have access to good images or getting better. Some of our writers uh, have gotten better over time, um, and that they're consistent because blogging. Uh, you know this as a content producer, Ed. You have to keep at it. You can't yeah. write once a month. You can't record a podcast once a month. It's just, it's not even that your audience will, will become distracted between intervals, but you will lose the thread of the larger story you're telling. So we definitely want to see people who are going to write at least once every two weeks, if not every week, and then we make everything easy. You know, the truth is, is that writing for 10,000 birds works because we already have an audience because we already have the site we take care of the technology uh and then people can come on i mean just recently um our newest writer is faraz abdul from trinidad and tobago 
have you been to Trinidad place. and Tobago yet, Ed? I I have not. I have. Oh, not. I have a, but it's on your bucket list, isn't it? it? It's on my. It's not super high, but it's up there. I uh, I still I have not traveled. You've traveled outside the U.S. a lot, birding. I have mm-hmm. pretty until the last three or four years. Really, three or four years. I just focused on the ABA area. Just I was I got I've birded quite a lot in North America. Um, well, if I can make a recommendation, I, I'll I'll say that. That Trinidad and Tobago, Asa Wright Lodge, and just just the general uh, experience of this location is should be very high on anybody's list. Um, Trinidad and Tobago, to me, combines some of the best of both Caribbean and South American birding uh, to the benefit of both, and it's got you know it's got. Glass bottom boats and sea turtles. When I went down there, you know, I saw I saw sea turtles uh, hatching, and it has phenomenal rum and street food. Oh, what what a place! So anyway, Faraz is the most recent birder to join us, and he's bringing he's writing about a place that, while those of us who have visited it have written about, we haven't written about it from the perspective of somebody who lives there. And different perspective. Very good. And before that, Kai Flug is a German who's living in China and he's a photographer and he's been sharing uh, his insights and actually some updates of what it's like to be in China right now, which which is very interesting. I bet. And before that, it was Paul Lewis, who lives in Mexico and he's a pastor in Mexico and in a part of Mexico that doesn't get a lot of birding coverage. So again, just, you know, every writer that comes on is usually shining a light onto an aspect of birding nationally or internationally that is really worth listening to and reading to, reading about. Very nice. So it sounds like you've got quite a quite a collection of writers. That's uh, I mean I just looked through it and it's it's impressive. Uh, so what's up for you? What what how where do you see this all going? You're gonna you're gonna continue ten thousand birds, I'm assuming. Uh, you uh, what where do you see your birding interests uh, going from here? Well, I mean, for myself, ten thousand birds represents my contribution to the birding community. It's uh, it's an expression of what I like and what I can help populate our ecosystem with. You know, there's just so much birding is a shared avocation that really depends on the help of others in our community. And anybody that's gone on a bird walk or a bird tour knows what this is about. If you participate in a, um, in a big day or you participate in a Christmas bird count or something, you're doing it because somebody's doing the work to make it happen for you. Right. And I appreciate that spirit of volunteerism in our community that we depend on just to learn, you know, when you're out on the trail and people who you know are spending a lot of time at a particular patch can point you in the right direction, save you a lot of time. Uh, even that is just, it's, it's service. So animated by this commitment to service in our community, we're going to keep 10,000 birds going as long as we can. We've, you know, had our ups and downs with it in terms of fighting uh, the spammers and the hackers and uh, <laughs> managing all the dips and valleys of social uh, social media. But, you know, we're going to keep going because we, as long as people want to write for it and people want to read it, we're going to keep going with that. 
I'm going to continue to connect with people across the country and go birding in places I haven't been because that's my favorite kind of birding. And that, that for me will keep birding strong. I appreciate your, uh, your contribution to that, that part of our community. It's really, really helpful. I have to say of the things that, that you do on your, on your uh, 10,000 birds, I have to say best weekend bird is my favorite thing. I love reading that. <laughs> I, I uh, appreciate that. I, I just thought that, you know, and I've been writing that for, you know, I mean, so many years. And it's just to ask people in the beginning of the weekend, like, where are you going birding this weekend? If, you, if you're going to do something interesting, tell us about it. And then, okay, you did it. What was the best bird you saw? And, you know, yeah. Corey and I always share ours. And we love when people share no matter what the bird is that you saw, somebody's going to be jealous about it. You say, oh, yeah. I saw some chickadees this weekend. Well, somebody's going to be like, oh, I wish I could see those chickadees. Yeah, out here, that chestnut-back chickadees. You guys don't get those over there. Oh, I love the chestnut-back chickadee. What a beauty. Yeah. I haven't seen one yeah. of those in 10 years. Yeah. So I, I have to say, I I started uh, replying to that, you know, not every weekend, but to when I got out for the weekend. And I would, I looked to see if I could post a photo with my comment. Is there a way to do that? I, I no, don't... there's not. No. It, it, you know, okay. the, you could post a link to a photo, but okay. the internet, <laughs> as challenging as life online is now, if people could post photos in blog comments, that oh, would God, be the yes. end of it. You know, we're yeah. getting this big, um, those of us who are dealing with uh, kids online um, and the concept of Zoom bombing, where you're giving a lecture or presentation I've, I've online and then some kid is playing something that should not be seen yes. on his screen. It's, you know, there's a certain, yeah. <laughs> certain level of bad behavior. And for that reason, yeah. every comment that somebody posts has to be approved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a drag. I, I had a I had a medical blog for years, drpullen.com, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's still up, but I rarely contribute to it anymore. But uh, oh goodness, the spam! I, the spam. I would, get, I would get 500 spam comments for every good comment. It was oh, just... absolutely, and it's it's relentless. It happens all the time, and you know, ten thousand birds over over time. We've we've been visited by almost six million readers. I mean, it's just amazing yeah. how many, how many people, but there was a point in our history where the site had slowed to a crawl and it was because of all the spam that was, that the filter couldn't stop. And it was cause hackers got in and it took years to untangle it and try to mm-hmm. pull out as many strands as possible. It's why you can't have nice things because no matter what you create, somebody is going to try to hijack it for their purposes and maybe destroy it in the process. It is a drag. But anyway, uh, I appreciate your uh, contribution with 10,000 birds. Uh, and I, I want to just uh, uh, give a chance. How can people reach out to you about your site or, or your things? Is, 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 there, is there a comments? Is, is there a contact us section or how, of, how would people of do course. that? Of course. Of course, there's a contact. Anybody could reach out to me at 10,000birds at gmail.com. I used to have a different uh, mic at 10,000birds, but again, the spammers destroyed that too. <laughs> so 10,000birds at gmail.com, you reach out to me and you know, read the site, comment, share your thoughts. Uh, the reason any of us do this and what's animated all of us for so many years has been the connection with 
people who feel the same way we do about birding, nature conservation, and travel, um, who you know prize ecotourism, who prize genuine community and connection, and just you know loving getting out into the field and seeing cool stuff. It is, it is a great community, I have to say. It 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 never ceases to amaze me how how rare it is to find a real jerk who's out birding. I mean, Isn't that amazing? That, that, Isn't I mean, that amazing? It happens, it happens, but boy, I'll tell you, you find so many helpful, thoughtful, nice people. I, I've been I was in uh I was in Texas recently and uh, I, I, we met this guy and after two or three stops, this guy's stalking us everywhere we go. This guy shows up and he walks over and he says, why? Well, I, I checked you out on eBird and looked at this. You know, you should, th- there's a young, young fellow down here. I saw that you do a podcast. There's a young fellow down here. You should get a hold of him. He's really, he would be a great guest. <laughs> <It's like out laughs> nowhere. And he says, oh, and, and next week I'm going uh, up north to the coast. Do you want to ride with me? I said, yeah, I could do that. It's just, I mean, no matter where you go, you find people who want to help. Uh, teach. Uh, it's it's really fun. It's a really well, fun that's community. A, my philosophy has always been that birders make better neighbors because if you have a birder living next door, chances are they are taking care of their area. And by that, I don't mean they're manicuring their lawn, but they're creating really interesting native plantings. They are active outside. They believe in science. They believe in community. They are probably conservationists. Just you know, if I could be surrounded by birders all the time, I think uh, I'd be happier. Life could be worse than that, couldn't it? <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> anyway, Mike, thank you so much for being my guest today. I appreciate it. I encourage everyone to check out 10,000 Birds and see what they uh, see what they have to say about that. I think you'll enjoy it. You can subscribe to that. I get it in my email all the time now since I subscribed a while ago, so that makes it easy. And uh, again, Mike, thanks for being on as a guest. I appreciate it so much. Ed, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Well, enjoy the rest of this uh, 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 rest at home or whatever. Stay home, stay safe. The, time. Yeah, the shelter yeah. in place. Don't worry. We can still shelter. go to our local spots. I, I am. I have to say I'm picking. It's been fun. I've been picking places. I maybe wouldn't go so much. I said, where could I go today that there won't be anyone at? <laughs> so, so yeah, one of one of our writers, Paul, he wrote an article last week, uh, Bird Like I Bird, and he basically said, pick Pick a spot you've never been before and that nobody ever goes and just see exactly. what's going on there. Um, exactly. Although I have to admit, you know, it's spring and uh, the Braddock Bay Hawkwatch platform is such a great place to be. A, a, a number yeah. of us were there this weekend, but we were all spaced six feet or more apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I have to say I'm, I'm doing the same. I'm trying to, it's hard not to go to your favorite haunts and it's hard not to chase every bird you hear about too. Uh, get our first, uh, I'm a county lister and say so you want to yeah. get your first of the year, whatever. Uh, but I have to say, I went to, I went to a place called the Goggle High Tea Mitigated Marsh, which is uh-huh. a wonderful birding place, but does not smell good. Uh, oh, of course. That, <laughs> right. that means it's probably a great birding spot. <laughs> it's in the Tacoma, Tacoma Tide Flats and it has a rendering plant next door. So it you can be nice. really, really ripe, but there were zero birders there, and I got three first of year species in one sunny afternoon. I thought it was, yeah, this I'm living right today. Living That's right. it. You know what? Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing you point out about birding is that following this interest takes you to the rarest, uh, most unexplored corners of your world. Um, as someone who started birding in New York City. 
and who misses New York for the quality of birding there. I just, you think about all the sewage plants and all the weird spots that nobody goes to. And you go to the beach in winter when everyone else goes in the summer and you just see the world differently from other people. I also started birding in New York City. I was at, when I started birding. I was I was stationed at West Point in the military. Oh, mar- good. I, Hudson Valley is a beautiful spot. Yes, and I married a woman while I was there. Married a woman who was working in New York, and so she kept Kay kept her uh, apartment. She had a little tiny studio apartment in Manhattan. She kept that, and she would she would uh, after we got married, she would come up for the weekend, she'd go back Monday, stay in her apartment Monday night, come back Tuesday, etc. And I had wet Thursday afternoon off, so I'd go down Thursday afternoon. Some weekends we'd spend in New York and some we'd spend at West Point. It was a pretty wonderful time. But Birding Central Park and the Jamaica Bay area. Oh, yeah. And, That's it. And, and uh, what is the beach? Uh, Jones Beach. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Good. You just take Phenomenal. the train out to Jones Beach. It was so cool. And uh, I remember some fabulous, fabulous birding in New York City. And I was like shocked. At how how can you go bird watching in Manhattan? But you sure could. It was pretty nice. Uh, but uh, Yeah. I, I moved listen. to Rochester 12 years ago. And people ask me what I miss about New York. And basically, I just miss the birding. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, my prayers go out to Corey, too. It sounds like he is knee deep in the middle of this uh, COVID-19. He is. He certainly is on the front lines, um, but he has access to all those fantastic birding spots and he's exploring some new ones himself. So at least he's got that to keep him going. Good for him. Good for him. Well, Mike, again, thank you for being on as a guest. I appreciate it. And uh, you make it a good day. Take care. You too. Take care, Ed. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner podcast episode number 56 with Mike Bergen. Mike is a key part of the birding community. He is the creator of maybe the biggest birding blog on the internet. I've had lots of guests who have found ways to use and leverage their passion for birding into a way to give back to and participate actively in the birding community. I've had a number of authors. I had Christian Hagenlocker and I had Susie Gilbert last week on who are authors of books related to birding. Susie's was more bird rehabilitation. It was a novel, but birding related books. I've had a musician, Stephanie Seymour, on recently. I've had a number of people who uh, participate in other ways. I've had Alvaro Jaramillo. I've had Dorian Anderson, both now trip leaders. Dorian also did Biking for Birds Big Year. I've had lots of people who participate in all sorts of different ways, along with people who are birders, trip leaders, other things. But blogging for 17 years and 10,000 birds has to have been a massive undertaking for Mike, and I have tremendous respect for that. As I mentioned on the podcast, I did the drpoland.com website uh, blog for, gosh, several years, and that was really a, a wonderful undertaking, communicated with a lot of interesting people that I would not have otherwise, uh, and this just this uh, birdbanner.com uh, website and the Bird Banner podcast have been ways that I've been able to reach out to a lot of people that I otherwise wouldn't have, have talked to. But boy, for 17 years, Mike's been doing this, and that is an awesome, awesome accomplishment. I, uh, I am boggled at the longevity of that website and the reach that it has all over the world. Pretty impressive. You should, definitely should check it out. Well, I had a nice time talking with Mike today. Uh, always good to hear new people, uh, hear different points of view and perspectives. 
and I hope you enjoyed it too. I'm going to ask a favor. Leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast feeds. It really gives me excellent feedback, helps me get better, and helps me rank better on those uh, podcast feeds. So thanks for your rating and review, and until next time, good birding, good day.